Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. The idea was if I could put the process together that would lure Nobu onto the platform, would you be prepared to do it? And they said, look, you know, I mean, we're a top end restaurant. Look around the guests. We've got VIPs and, uh, and, and what we do here, it takes a lot of time and effort. It would have to be amazing. So, uh, you know, I set about thinking about the most amazing delivery process and what not only the operator would want, but the customer would want. This is Peter George Dew, founder and CEO of Supper, which after seven years of existence are now known as the luxury delivery company of choice for London's finest restaurants and retailers. And it all started with a poor restaurant delivery experience. One night with a friend, Peter realized that he could bring his previous expertise and insights to offer a better solution to the growing delivery sector. And we talk about the purpose behind Supper and why it's such a unique delivery solution. And what he learned launching and building Supper, the market for delivery and where it's going, his own learning as the founder and CEO the last two years and how he keep himself pro. Before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter packed with more Maverick insights, strategies and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. Now grab your notebook, coffee and be ready to learn a different approach to delivery. Enjoy. Today, we will uh, dive into an incredible entrepreneurial journey. We also talked about yeah, the, the, the very loved and also hated delivery market. And uh, so many opinions, so many emotion about this. So it brings me, me a great honor, actually, and uh, pleasure to actually have an expert, somebody that's doing it every day in London and building his uh, own delivery brand. Welcome to the, the show, Peter. It's a great pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me, Michael. I don't know about expert. I've been doing it for a long time, maybe long in the tooth. <laughs> well, it's about 10,000 hours they talk about then you're, you're an expert. So before, before we start, Peter, so people can find out where why I think you're an expert, you may be a bit more humble about it yourself. Can you give a little intro to, to your journey as an entrepreneur and how you ended up uh, building a supper? Yeah, I mean, uh, my journey is pretty simple. I, I was uh, someone who would have been a customer of supper. I, I was a, a, a person sitting at home, wanted great food delivered, looked at the landscape here in the UK um, and just felt as if that, that particular market wasn't being addressed. There was Just Eat and a, and a few other companies at the time. I think maybe even Deliveroo had just started. But everyone was looking at kind of the, the lower end. And I just thought, you know, look, I, I want to have the, the best restaurants in London delivered. You know, me as a customer, I think other people like me will want that too. Uh, and that's, that's the genesis of the, of the idea, really. 
and how did you come to the point that you wanted to start your your own business? What what made you take that jump? That 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 that's uh, <laughs> that has a bit more color to it. That one. Um, basically, uh, I was in my flat one evening, and my neighbour asked me to come over. Um, he said his wife had gone out and he had to babysit, so he couldn't go out. We originally had a night out planned, and he said to me, "Look, let let's get Nobu delivered." And um, I said, I, "I didn't think you could do that." Um, and uh, he he called them up and they said, "Nope, don't do delivery. You can have takeaway. You can come pick it up." Uh, we'd both had a few drinks, so neither of us could drive at this stage. Um, so we decided to send um, a black cab or someone he knew. I can't remember how he did it. And the whole process took about two and a half hours. At the end of the night, we were we were very, uh, very much uh, further inebriated by then. We thought, oh, we could do this. And that was what was the start of a kind of delivery journey. Um, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I just thought, oh, you know, of course, it's it's going to be easy. We go speak to the restaurants, get them on board. Funny enough, the guy at the time, uh, my neighbour, uh, Patrick, he um, he said, yeah, we'll do it together. And that was the idea. And then he decided to leave the country about a month later to go live in Paris. Uh, and so I'd already kind of got my heart set on it and and I just started down that route I had I had no prior experience it wasn't something I thought of before it was just that one night thinking that we could do this you know it was I guess it was a stupid idea but I think there was a there was a bit of of kind of need behind it you know we thought that we needed it you know maybe we were we had a bit too much money and we thought other people would need it and that, that's it yeah and I guess that the most, the best, and the greatest ideas actually come from the entrepreneur. Often had a need themselves; they couldn't get fulfilled, and therefore they can pour their heart into the, the solution. And what about what? What is the pers- purpose of supper besides you? You know, you deliver from restaurants, and you, as I understand, and we talked about before, it's like focusing on high end restaurants more than the lower end of it. That that's a very good question. So. Supper was was born after I, I um, went to visit a few of the restaurants, so Nobu being one, uh, the one that we tried to order from uh, and get delivery. And after speaking to them, they said that they'd, they'd considered the idea before. They, they it kind of like batted the idea about between management. Um, but they never really felt that anyone out there that had come to them had had the right process. So the, the, the idea was if I could put the process together that would uh, lure Nobu onto the platform. Would you be prepared to do it? And they said, "Look, you know, I mean, we're a we're a top end restaurant. I mean, look look around. You know, we uh, the, the guests. We've got VIPs, and uh, and and what we do here it takes a lot of time and effort. It would have to be amazing. So, uh, you know, I set about thinking about the most amazing delivery process and what not only the operator would want but the customer would want because i looked around i'd lived in new york for a while and i'd lived in parts of spain and i realized that yeah delivery has been going on for many years from local restaurants but it was very simple a guy on a bicycle and a car there was nothing much to it and so it dawned on me that it could be done better and if you were going to try and attract the best restaurants you know up to michelin star and and above um, you'd need the best process, uh, delivery process to do that. And that, that's what I set about doing. 
And uh, what is it that, that that makes you, you know, you already talked, there's a difference between you and the, the majority of the player in the market. What is it that, that makes you unique? And uh, what is it that the customers love about you, both on, on the restaurant side, but also on the, uh, the, the, the people who buy the food? Okay, so on the operator side, I think it's the time and care and attention we, we put to the delivery process and the, the, the amount of hoops we jump through in order to attract the best restaurants. So we'll go through lots of testing of the food. Uh, we have these very unique vehicles that I purchased in Japan and brought from Japan. We're the only ones to have them uh, in the country. Uh, they're amazing for food delivery. They're amazing for lots of delivery. They're, they're literally a delivery vehicle. Um, but I repurposed them for food delivery we we um uh, fill the bikes with hot cold um elements to keep the food separated as it's traveling so you keep hot by itself cold by itself um they maintain the temperature for a period of time so as far as the operator is concerned when the food leaves their restaurant it's, it's cared for in the best way possible and they're very concerned about that the only way to attract these guys is by telling them that you're going to take the most care that anyone has ever had in delivery as far as the customer's concerned on the other end when you're delivering the food we have very you know very skilled uniform drivers they all work for us we have all this equipment that i've told you that it all belongs to us they're courteous they know how to interact with only not only the restaurant but the customer. So the customer has a better experience. And then when they, they go into the food and then they delve into the food, it's not only hot or cold, it's in the perfect manner. You know, it's not plated as in the restaurant. But once you put it on your own plates, you should have a great experience or as good as it can be in a delivery process because the delivery process, there is degradation uh, and, and there is heat, you know, dissipation. So those things happen you can't ignore it even even we could put so many processes in place but once that food is made for the past and it's about to leave it's always going to degrade so you know being traveling for 10 15 minutes on a bike and moving from bag to bag and hand to hand but we do it i believe in the best way possible and and we've spent a lot of time doing you know i'm like seven years in now and um it took a few years to get this right uh, and since then, all we've done is we, we, we keep tweaking and mastering our craft. And, and we specialize on the service and the quality aspects of, of our process. So, you know, we, we're not as technologically advanced as the other companies. We're not as big on marketing. But when it comes to the delivery process, we are way far and above number one. And it's super interesting that you, you talk about the, you do the, these restaurants you mentioned here, they, the product and that experience is so key for them because that's why people come in the restaurant. So you almost need to replicate that in, in a delivery process. Is it easy for you to get restaurants on board? Because I guess they're very protected about their their product. No, it's not. And I, and I wish I'd, I'd had this conversation before I had the, the idea for the business because in 2014, 2015, when we started thinking about this, um, it was almost impossible to get any restaurant to open any doors and, and speak to you. Um, were we ahead of our time? I don't know. E even back then, you know, the other the other delivery companies were finding it difficult to, to turn restaurants on. But I guess uh, time goes on and, um, you know, the barrier to entry at that stage was very, very high. Um, and I guess... Now, you know, looking back, it, it all seems worth it. But I mean, there was there was a long time in between and we had great restaurants on the platform, but I really wanted the best of the best. 
And come late uh, 2018, 2019, we started having really good conversations with those key restaurants. And then obviously, as you know, when the pandemic kicked in, uh, it was a um, it was a, a spotlight that shone on us. And my phone lit up and all the restaurants that I'd been knocking on the doors and all the owners that I'd been speaking to uh, all wanted to join the platform. Uh, and as I've said to many people, you know, uh, over the period since, it, it wasn't luck and it wasn't, you know, a COVID business. You know, we'd been in business for a while. I think it's that people had the perception already by then that we were the premium delivery service that we said we were we'd been doing it for many people um and, and i've been knocking on those doors so you know at the end of the day uh, a lot of these restaurants weren't geared up for doing delivery they didn't want to do it it was a dining experience and i think that when we came along they had no interest but when push comes to shove you know and they have to they then really Got, got their heels stuck in and now you know they've embraced it and going forward I think it's very much a model of most restaurants out there the only thing that is a problem now for restaurants is the staffing issue but I guess that's another podcast <laughs> that's you know but I guess that also impact that you are more open to to sell through channels where you might don't need the same level of staffing you don't want to run that self you want to be available for for your customer in other ways if you have to reduce your capacity or opening hours or whatever it is yeah one one of my pitches used to be that um we don't want to take away from the restaurant experience we're not replacing the restaurant experience what we're doing is giving you uh or giving your customers the ability to have you more times and i say you the restaurant at home because if, you know, like most people, you don't go out to eat every single day of the week. You might reserve it for a Friday or Saturday or even a Sunday lunch. Now, that's that's one time in that one restaurant. But if you're at home and you love that particular restaurant, you would be inclined while you're sitting in front of the TV to possibly order it. Or you might have guests coming around just for a just for a drink. And you're like, you know what, I'll get some sushi or whatever. That That is what opens up the ability for you being on deliveries, you have now have another another opportunity to gain that customer's money. Um, so if you don't offer delivery, you're not embracing your customer to to its uh, to their maximum you know uh, benefit because ultimately they love your brand. Whether they come into the restaurant and they get it at home, they still are going to be a customer of yours. Now people embrace us because we we. You know, we basically sell ourselves as the best delivery company. So if you're re if you really care about your products, you're going to use supper. And um, is there, you know, when you talk about, you know, that you talk about standards here and you have a, like an ambition to be the best delivery company, and that's what set you apart. That's why also you focus on on the operation and the delivery of uh, of that experience. Can you talk a bit about, you know, because what I thought was really interesting in one of our other conversations we had, Peter. You talked about the way you hire, recruit people and train them to actually be to be able to deliver, you know, the, the supper experience, which I guess is a bit different than the, the average delivery company. Yeah, I go to the restaurant restaurants on a regular basis. And 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 once again, you know, I, I kind of I have this kind of analogy, and, you know, when you when you're a customer in a restaurant and you're an owner and you're you're you want to hire staff. You bring them in, you train them, and you, you about how the restaurant operates, how the customer needs to be treated, and in it's the same when you do delivery because a restaurant owner would never pull someone off the street and just get them serving people. 
right? But the other delivery companies, their focus is growth, speed. So they want people to go onto an app, sign up, and then literally get on their bikes and start delivering. It doesn't work for our partners. You know, we now have, uh, as we've grown, we now have a training facility specifically dedicated for the, um, uh, the, the the excellence we want from our drivers. You know, we, we, we verse them in how to interact with restaurants, how to interact with the customer, how to carry uh, the food, uh, how to behave. You know, this kind of this process kind of takes one to two days. And then on the third day, they get to go out and start delivering. In its, in its quickest form, it could take a day, but generally it takes a couple of days. Um, they have to get used to the vehicle. There's a lot of elements to that. But ultimately, if you're going to be an extension of a restaurant, you have to understand what that restaurant expects from you. And I think that's what we do so well. Um, when when the drivers turn up to these restaurants, they generally know who, who the people are that they're, they're, they're delivering for. They know the importance of the restaurant. They know the, the kind of uh, importance to us. Um, whereas I've been the other, I, actually, I've had delivery guys come into my building and I said, where are you delivering from? And the guy wouldn't even know the, comp the, the restaurant he turned up to just a second ago. So I guess it's slightly different. You know, we're a smaller business. We concentrate more on the details. You know, we, we're very focused on that kind of service and quality that, that, that restaurants uh, have come to, to be known by. And I guess also this factor in a way also means that you have to scale in a, you know, controlled, balanced way. Because if that experience for the operator that signed you on suddenly slips, that they feel the people that comes in has not got the right training, it's not handling the product or the, you know, their behavior around the restaurant in the right way. In the years gone by, um, it's been easier to to onboard drivers because it's been a lot, uh, a lot. You bring a restaurant on once every couple of days or through through two three restaurants a week. You know, it's not. It wasn't a huge amount in the earlier days. So you could you could you could train guys as the restaurants came on. Uh, the pandemic was very challenging because you, 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 we had a dichotomy then. It was like, okay, how quickly can we onboard restaurants and drivers? How quickly can we upscale this business now? Because things are coming at us at 100 miles an hour. We've got people sitting at home. We've got restaurants completely shut. They need to be switched on. They've got to be switched on tomorrow. Right now, we've gone back to the old days, and that is restaurants are thinking about whether they want to join the platform. They're thinking it's more controlled. So that pandemic scenario... However, the one thing that we benefited from was a lot of people sitting at home. And because a lot of people were sitting at home and we had staff in the office, it was easier for us to do the onboarding. In a, that's where I came down to the one day. It was easier for us to do the onboarding quickly. But we still had dilemmas about have they been trained enough? Is, 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 is the service going to be good enough? But you know what? When, when you have to think fast and you have to move rapidly, you, you kind of find out you know, where, the, where, your, where your skills lie. And, and we'd always concentrated on that part of the business. We'd always had employed drivers. And so every employed driver that was working for the business trained other guys. And it was, it was pretty simple, but it was very, very chaotic in the beginning. That also lead me very nicely to, you know, you talked about the pandemic where there was this explosion and, and the growth, you know, all over the, the place. And you said that the, the speed is tailing off a bit again, but also there's this, you know, the people have talked about even before the pandemic, there's massive potential in the delivery market, plus 11 billion pounds just here in the UK, maybe. 
Could you give us a bit of an idea as an expert operating in the market is is there actually this you know growth potential for for delivery and and where are we going with it all? Okay, well, I, I don't, you know, firstly, as a delivery company, I don't think delivery is going anywhere. Obviously, I would say that. But honestly, I think that our lives have changed completely over the last uh, five, 10 years. You know, everybody wants stuff delivered now, you know, whether it be a phone or a book or, or food. So so that, that's not going anywhere. As far as uh, pandemic scenario, where it was kind of off the scale and it was chaotic yeah that that's tapered off everybody's seen it you know people are out socializing again uh, and whether it's buying stuff on amazon or, or using our delivery service you know everyone is now kind of getting back to their normal routine going to shops and going to restaurants now saying that going forward i still believe delivery is a big big business um it's not going to grow at the same rate it's tapered off um but i guess the big question is with the market as it is, um, wage inflation and stuff, how do the unit economics uh, uh, um, uh, match up? You know, who is going to be, who is making money, who can make money? You know, um, at the end of the day, you know, we've seen just in our business, 25% wage inflation for the drivers. You know, they're, they're at the lower end of the market. Nobody wants to do that kind of job. So, you know, you have to pay these guys more money. But you know, these other delivery companies, the bigger ones are doing free delivery. They're doing discounts. I guess it becomes very difficult to run a, a positive unit economic business. Now, I'm very lucky because we're in a we're in a business that has a average order value of 110 pounds per transaction. Compare that to, you know, one of the other, you know, the, the generalist companies. And I guess they're, they're about a 20 pound basket. So on a 20 pound basket, and I think, you know, I think Deliveroo have been quite vocal about this over the years, you know, they probably lose about two pound or something. Uh, I think at one stage they lost a lot more. Um, So, you know, you you have to think about how long is that sustainable? And in the current climate, as we were discussing previously, you know, there seems to be a lot of money pulling away from this uh, delivery arena right now because the unit economics just don't stack up. So I guess... Yep, delivery will be exist. Will exist. Will it grow at the same rate? I don't know. It will still be a very, very big business. There's still a big market out there. There, there still hasn't been huge adoption in various industries. I mean, the the amount of food delivered is still about one percent uh, is online. The rest of it is kind of you know grocery stores and stuff. So there, there's it's still a big market. Uh, I think it has a long way to go. I just think it's gonna it's gonna take a bit of time now to get to that. You know multi-billion pound uh, uh, market that you were discussing in, in, in the short space of time. Yeah, and I guess it's very interesting you talk about that investors, I guess it is, and other stakeholders really looking at can who can make money because in the end of the day, you can't just sell the vision that can't keep on going. Somebody has to show that actually this model works and you can make money on it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, investors traditionally have always wanted a profit and we've come out of the 2000.com bubble where that happened a lot and then we stabilized then all of a sudden in the last 10-15 years you've got these new businesses that just grow 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 lose a load of money ipo the people who don't invested all make money and then the businesses just start to kind of tail off you know the the shares start to fall out of bed and and uh, a lot of people get lost, uh, get get left behind. You know, they, they they lose money. So ultimately, I think 
everyone's looking at models that may or have, have happened before the Amazon model. I mean, they they were very very um, big loss making businesses uh, for many years, and all of a sudden they're profitable. And I think everyone thinks they can do it. But the problem is, there seems to be a lot of VCs throwing money at the same kind of businesses. So you know, six delivery companies start up at the same time. Well, okay. One may last, but then, you know, so are they all banking on the management to, to make that work? The problem you've got there is that the, I think, you know, and I'm in the delivery business just as much as everyone else, but the problem I think you've got is you just grow at all costs. You're not thinking about, and then at some stage when your competitors fall by the wayside, you think, oh, now I can make it work. But then the customer is then, you know, the, 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 the customer is left kind of thinking, well, hold on, before you were giving me free delivery, now you're charging me five pounds. How does that work? So I guess it, it's a false economy, really. But, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of money to be had. There's still a lot of money pouring into the business. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but there always will be. Um, I just think that um, it's going to be a lot tougher to sell that dream of growing without making profits. Yeah, and I guess that goes for for any business. Also, the the restaurant who needs the, the delivery, they also need to show either their bank or themselves or their investors, you know, profitability faster than before. And I, and I think that the that the patient has probably or selling a dream is very hard today if you don't have a, a break even date in a way. So what what about the restaurants and all this because they adapted very quickly. In the, when the pandemic started and finding out, okay, we just need to switch this on in general across the market. And then a lot of people have had lots of learnings, both good and bad around delivery, you know, eat at home experiences, as we just called them that. How have they come out on the other side of the pandemic? What have your experience been sitting there as a supplier to them? Well, the skepticism that I had back when I was first knocking on the doors seems to have fallen by the wayside so so now you know they've seen a you know these these premium uh, restaurants at one stage we had 11 michelin star restaurants on the platform uh yeah i think 11 michelin star restaurants on the platform we had two two michelin star restaurants on the platform uh, and the rest were i'm i'm sure the top tier of london so we we've worked with the best we've worked with the best chefs and i can honestly say that you know, apart from a few people saying, well, look, it's not as good as dining in, they were pleasantly surprised. They were surprised by the volume. They were surprised by the feedback. But moreover, if we weren't now involved in this Brexit staffing crisis, I think that 90% of them would still be on the platform because I think it was a good experience and they realized that they were really keeping their customers happy. Their loyal customers who couldn't get to the restaurant every week, didn't want to come every week. I mean, there's, I'm now a father of two, two young children and I no longer go out as much as I went out. But I still want good food delivered, right? So I'm at that phase in my life where, you know what, actually, I don't mind not going out. But, you know, if I can have that restaurant brought to my house, that's what I want. And why shouldn't a customer want that? So... Yeah, look, I think the, the restaurants are embracing it. And I think if, if we get this staffing, hospitality staffing crisis out of the way, I think, you know, I will personally benefit because a lot of those restaurants will come back onto the platform that can't manage both channels at the moment. And um, I, I think uh, they will see the benefit for their customers.
Yeah, it's interesting you say uh, the, the staffing crisis, and actually that has actually held, in your view, restaurants back for actually, you know, keep on switching on their, their online sales or their delivery sales. What about you as uh, the delivery operator? How, have you seen as well it's hard to find people to, 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 to staff your business in this environment? Lately, the the driving staff, yeah, that's been hard because um, you know they, they keep saying that you know some new company is going to offer them you know ten, fifteen, twenty percent more than you're paying them. So yeah, it, it it has been hard because that that that's a balancing act, right? How much do you pay a driver to do this delivery? And you you're doing a premium delivery, so you know it's got to be the best. Um, but then, you know, what do you forego? Do you forego making money on that order or just because you're offering a service? Out? So, yeah, there's been a lot of questions to be asked. Uh, however, as I think there's been a bit of a shift in the in the market recently. And I think a few companies have gone out of business. So I think there's a few more riders out there. But once again, you know, it's still it's still a bit of a rider market. They're asking and dictating for for what they want. Uh, that may change, so we may see that staff staffing element ease. But for the moment, you know there is a lot of pressure on finding good staff. And um, if you look at the, uh, you know how you know local communities and in general, how 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 have you know they embraced you know more delivery businesses coming around in for USA in London in the boroughs? Is it that open mindedness to that, or is there any any barriers when it comes to the councils and so on? Well, I guess you ask a, a question specifically uh, directed at the larger companies because they, they uh, you know, you hear about all this news about nuisance riders and and uh, dark kitchens on in um, suburban areas that that have become uh, noise uh, polluters and stuff. Um, I guess we're as a, being a smaller business, very central London located. I guess we we kind of uh, a bit more you know undercover. We're a bit camouflaged by the noise of the city. We don't really annoy anyone. You know we do. You know I'd say hundreds of deliveries deliveries a day rather than thousands upon thousands. So you know I guess we we slip through the net and uh, and actually the bikes that we we use they're not electric but they're very eco friendly and that um, they don't they have hardly any noise pollution. So look as I say we've always tried to be a um, delivery company that supports our restaurants rather than a big in-your-face delivery company that's all about what we do. So I guess we, we, we can move about the city a lot easier and, and be a lot more kind of, uh, uh, you know, discreet in what we do. So I, I don't, we don't suffer from that at all. What is your, your prediction for, you know, hospitality delivery in the, the coming 18 months? We, we touched on the, the staffing crisis. That's definitely having a, a toll on the, the, the industry, as you already mentioned, where I think it's a, approaching 200,000 open jobs or even more right now. But is there other things you see that is coming or things that becomes easier as we go forward the next 12 to 18 months? Well, I read in hospitality, it was something like that. But I read in London, there's 500,000 vacancies right now for jobs. So that's London in its entirety, regardless of hospitality. What do I see happening? That That is a very good question. I speak to the restaurant owners all the time. At the moment, none of them can see any any light at the end of the tunnel. There, there seems It seems to be getting worse. We were told it was getting better. And there was a kind of situation where it slightly eased around around. Uh, November, December time, and since January, February, it's got worse. So I, I, I don't know. I'm hopeful, 
that things will really there will be some kind of change in policy or something you know i mean i'm clutching at straws here but something that that would ease the situation so that restaurants can get back to either full capacity i mean a lot of the restaurants where i work with um at the top level they haven't got enough staff to open on uh, you know seven days a week so they're closed for a monday or a tuesday they never did that before um they can open for delivery but on certain days of the week rather than whereas you know uh, pre-pandemic and in pandemic obviously we were used to these guys being on all the time so how long and how quickly that will change that's tough 18 months i think we're going to need the whole 18 months for that to for that to resolve itself i'm afraid what do you see of big movements in the market is there a lot of change ahead of us uh in the in the in the sector in general you think Well, look, um, in the hospitality sector, there's a movement called Hospitality Rising and uh, we're part of it. And basically, that's all the hospitality industry coming together and marketing themselves to the younger generation and saying hospitality is a great place to work. Um, you know, it's a career you can you can really build a a, a, a a lifestyle from this kind of career. You know, you can get to the top, you can be top chef, you can be a GM, you can be a, you know, the GM of a hotel, there's lots of opportunity. And I guess it looks as if in the last few years, hospitality has been left behind and people think it's just being a waiter or being like a, a commie chef. So I think if that word gets out and they can do a really good job on that uh, as a movement, then uh, I think, you know, it, it could start to, to, you know, we could bring people because actually historically hospitality has been Uh, led by you know foreign labor you know european labor and we need to bring you know some some local talent into the mix here to to really help resolve things mm, mm. that's really interesting so it's like there's almost like a, a movement that needs to happen where the perception of a job in hospitality becomes uh stronger but even you know uh, better than other sectors because i i totally agree with you there's like life skills or transferable skills even if you spend the 10 years of your career in hospitality you can transfer into so many businesses uh, if you really really get stuck into it yeah in the pandemic i took a lot of staff from hospitality they were waiters they were bartenders they worked uh, in front of house they worked in the kitchen And these guys were honestly some of the best workers that we took on. Some were drivers, some worked in the office, but they were the most personable. They had the right skills. They, they were always on time. I mean, you really do get a good ground in working in hospitality. There is a lot of elements I can, you know, I can't speak highly enough about working in, 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 in any of the elements of hospitality, whether it be restaurant, hotel, you know, and entertainment businesses. All of those things, I think you were right. Life skills, especially if you're young, you need you need that kind of grounding. What have been your uh, your own like biggest learning the past past two years, and uh, <laughs> and what have have that made you you know think do from from when you really got clarity around that? Running your own business is tough. It, that that's that's one of the biggest learnings. Tenacity. You, you have to have a lot of tenacity. I mean, even if the pandemic didn't happen, supper would still be here now. I guess it just would have taken a, a lot longer to get here. So you need that tenacity to get you through. Because you know, as the years have gone on, um, we would have taken on you know those key restaurants. They would you know we would eventually. You know, there would have been this kind of um, uh, sea change in in restaurants' perceptions. Um, 
also yeah, I think you you have to be uh, malleable. You have to you have to adapt to what's going on, and we've always been able to do that. Especially being small, nimble, you know, uh, we could see that. Um, you know uh, the the need for these restaurants uh, uh, to to come on board very quickly uh, at the beginning of the pandemic had to happen, and so as a smaller business, we were able to adapt to to specific needs of some restaurants, and we we did certain things we wouldn't have done pre-pandemic. You know, we 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 made certain um, uh, provisions for those guys, and you know it set us in good stead because now we have amazing relationships. So. I don't know. There's certain things, tenacity, uh, adaptability, uh, and I guess in my case, patience, because it's taken quite a while to get here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. You talk about tenacity, that's why like also celebrating the small wins. I think there's like a theme when you talk, Peter, about like the one percent compound every day, where you're focusing on getting better and achieving that mastery, and the rest will follow. Yeah, but also, you know, I chose to do one of the most difficult things out there, and that was deliver premium restaurants. Firstly, uh, you know, being being a, a fellow economist there, Michael, you know, you know that if you're going to start a business, you have to do something that's difficult. Otherwise, everyone can just come into that business. So delivery, delivery was already out there. As I said, people have been doing it for years. But what did people not want to do? They wanted they didn't want to deliver premium restaurants because, you know, oh, you've got to put too much effort. So I put a lot of time and effort in doing that, tried to make, make it as good as it can be, and nobody's really followed. Now, you could take that two ways. You could, you could say, well, oh, there's no market, or you could say, well, it's just too difficult. We want the easy route. You know, at the end of the day, it was difficult, and there is a market, and the market's growing. So I guess, you know, that, that's where the tenacity comes in, because I was... I was kind of pig-headed enough to say, you know, this actually, you, you can make this work for the top restaurants and customers will want it, you know. And uh, I guess, you know, patience and, and working at your and gaining that craft, you know, uh, uh, takes time. You know, you, you never get anything easy in life. Great, great. I, I love that. What about uh, Sapa's plans for, for the coming 12, 18 months? What is your, your big plans? Right. Well, you know, assuming the assuming the, the funding goes the right way over the next 12 months, I mean, you know, we're, we're OK for the moment. But obviously, we're always looking to to get new investors on board. But that being said, we do have plans, and that is to uh, expand our footprint in London, uh, whether that be with new restaurant partners in, in different areas of London we aren't currently in, or we've got this uh, localized kitchen idea with, with some of our partners. A lot of it is uh, contingent on the staffing situation because obviously that needs to be staffed. Also, we're looking at international expansion because we work with a lot of global players and uh, we've been asked many times over the years to, to go abroad. Uh, and we're actually pursuing uh, a few of those avenues right now. So hopefully uh, they will all come to fruition by the end of the year. Great, great. What would be your uh, my last question of today? Where, where, what would you be like your top advice to, to, to leaders out there that's trying to uh, accelerate their businesses forward uh, in, a, in a post-pandemic world? Okay, so a couple of things. A bit like investing, you shouldn't really invest in something you don't understand. So if you're going to have a business, start a business that you either want or you understand, right? So you either want that service, you need that service, 
or you're an expert in something and you think that that knowledge can be transferred and it will be well received. So that that's that's kind of number one. Uh, number two, see what's going out going on out there. See what the trends are and see whether your idea has any any validity in in and any place in in the market. I came from living in New York. Uh, and I could have everything I wanted delivered to my apartment in New York. When I came to London, it was a firm no. You can't have this. You can't have that. We're closed on a Sunday. I mean, it was just endless. So I automatically thought that, well, you know, hold on there. That, you know, if, you, if I want that restaurant delivered, I can have that delivered because you can have it in other places. So I think, you know, you, you should you should have a look at what's going on. And it's an easy way to get an idea and feel for for. Um, you know, uptake of an idea, you know, market perception. Um, and, and then I guess the, the one thing I didn't do, find some money for investment before you start planning your idea. I, I unfortunately was, was very stupid and put my, all of my own money in uh, and then tried to find investment. So I kind of did it the wrong way round, and uh, it took a lot longer than I'd hoped. So, yeah, I think find, find either... Um, you know, friends and family, seed money, and make sure that they kind of uh, validate your business idea and they're willing to back it. Because if you're putting your own money in, then it's kind of your own idea and maybe nobody else cares about it. So, you know, I think th those three things would set someone in good stead. Great, great, Peter. Some great advice there. Um, where can people find out more about you and, and Supper? Where are the best place to go and find you? Our uh, website is Supper London. Uh, we have a, obviously an app that's Supper London in the in App Store and on Android. I guess we are mostly London centric. So, in in the very central areas of London, you can get a delivery to your house. We deliver for around three miles from our restaurant, so we, we cover a good section of the, of the central parts of London. As I say, in, in the coming months, uh, towards the end of the year, we'll be expanding our footprint. But uh, whether you'll see us around the country, I don't know. Watch this space. But uh, I, I don't know if you'll be able to read much more about me. I don't, really, I don't really talk about myself much. But the business, you know, come, have a look, try the service. Tell us what you think. We're always happy for feedback. Lovely, Peter. Thank you so much. And uh, I send you and, and the team at, at Supper Power and Energy for, for the period ahead. Thank you, Michael. It's, uh, it's very, very happy to speak to you. Very kind for you to, uh, to get me on this podcast today. Thank you so much, Peter, for your great insights into the delivery market and what there is to expect for it in the future for all stakeholders. You should now reflect on how can I ensure that I am capitalizing on the delivery market according to my brand values. To get further inspiration on the delivery market, please tune in to episode 125 with Toby Sable, co-founder and CEO of Foodstuff, on food delivery with a conscience. I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, learned something, please share, rate, review, or subscribe to one of our channels, which all can be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com. And also, if you have any ideas or feedback for the show, or other thoughts, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or via my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or via their social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly at advice at bizsimply.com. 
A big thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us, subscribe to the newsletter for more Maverick insights at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes to help you. I'm Michael Tinkstad, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Mavericks podcast show. Be Maverick!